0: Alyssa, welcome to Sports Business Secrets.
1: I'm so excited to be here.
0: What a treat to have another Quinnipiac Bobcat on the podcast, let alone, are you ready for this, ladies and gentlemen, my former academic advisor, the one and the only. (laughs) Well, bear with me real quick as I give the audience a little bit of a a background. So uh, Alyssa got her undergraduate degree in sports marketing from the University of Connecticut, where she was also one of the most important people on college basketball staffs, a student manager for the men's basketball team. She then took her talents to George Washington University where she was a GA for the men's basketball team uh, and also got her MBA. uh, And later on another master's in higher education administration. Uh, She soon jumped, soon after jumped to Quinnipiac University right around the time that I was starting uh, where she began as the academic advisor for us, the men's basketball team. And over the past 15 years, she has climbed the ranks quickly, Uh, into her role now, which is Senior Associate Athletic Director for Business and Administration. So officially, welcome.
1: Happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: You're welcome. So I I give my guests uh, a minute or two just to give a little brief uh, uh, background on your upbringing, and then we'll get into college selection and, and go from there.
1: Okay. So I grew up in Bloomfield, Connecticut, and my entire family, huge sports fans, Um, Every Sunday we would go to my it was my great grandmother's house and aunts, uncles, cousins, everybody would be there. grandparents um, and we'd watch the Giants, we'd watch the Yankees, we'd watch the Huskies, all the the local teams. I have have one uncle who's a Red Sox and Patriots fan, but I think he's secretly just trying to like be the, the odd man out
0: was was he invited to those those family gatherings? Yeah,
1: he lived there, okay. so yeah. Okay.
0: okay. <laughs> nice. M- very cool. So and and when you before college, did you have any idea or I guess during high school like what you what you wanted to be when you when you grew up?
1: I think very much from that experience, I loved sports and knew I wanted to work in sports and the joke around my family is like I told everybody I wanted to be Ricky Henderson when I grew up. Um, Ricky is a former Major League Baseball Hall of Famer. Um, and my parents were like, okay, cool, you could do whatever you want. So from there, it kind of morphed into like some sort of sports marketing, sports management. Um, was was my thought process.
0: Got it. Well, that, that's perfect because obviously on the podcast we we talk about um you know, yes, we talk about uh, recruiting and going pro and what that's like, but we also talk about all the opportunities that uh, are in the sports world outside of getting paid to actually play the game in whatever sport you're in. Um, so with that being said, as you went to make that decision to go study whatever you wanted to study, why did you end up choosing the University of Connecticut? Obviously, it sounds like it sounds like from the, the, the love and passion of those Sundays, um, you know, you knew where you were going the entire time. I did. And
1: I only applied to one college. I think my high school guidance counselor was like, hey, are you sure about this? And I said, yeah, I'm going to apply early. And if I don't get in for some reason, I'll figure it out. And I didn't have a backup plan. So it's good that I did get in. Um, but yeah, I wanted to go to UConn again for the, the, the sport. I knew they had a sports marketing program that I wanted to be in. And so not to reveal my age but I'm a little older than you and I you know grew up watching Yukon from a young age and I remember seeing a girl on the end of the bench who would like bring the towels and bring the water and I was like that is going to be me and my mom again was like okay yep sure okay um so that was my goal from like that point on I applied to Yukon I wrote a letter Cause back in the day, that's what you did. Um, I wrote a letter. Hey,
0: it's a, it's a, sorry to cut you off. It is a lost art writing letters today. We can talk about this later for differentiating yourself, but writing letters today is amazing. So I love that.
1: Yep. So I wrote a letter to the basketball office and I was like, I'm coming to UConn. I want to be a student manager. Like, how do I do this? And I got a letter back um, that I have in my office today. From a gentleman named Tom Moore, who was an assistant coach at UConn at the time, and he was like, "Congratulations on getting into UConn. Come see us when you when you get to campus." So I was excited.
0: That's awesome. I I love that. Actually, I don't know if I ever told you this. I don't know if it's here somewhere, but I know people are listening and, and don't see the video. But I my my handwritten letter story was that. I I read a lot of handwritten letters. I used to write them to like CEOs and to into pros. And the most famous handwritten letter, and one of actually the only's that I got back, was from the CEO of Marriott. Uh, he he's actually since passed away, RIP. But it was like like a handwritten letter from from me, and I just got one back from the CEO, just casually, like, wow, that's amazing. So if you're listening, write handwritten letters. They go a long way, and obviously, you have to have a special person on the other end that received it, like. A CEO of Marriott or like a Tom Moore.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Love that.
0: Cool. So, so you're 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 now on campus, um, and actually, I want to know what that first meeting was like with with uh, with Coach Moore. So, did you go right to his office? Did you did you did you wait a bit? Or I'm
1: pretty sure I didn't even unpack my bag, and I was like, I'm going out to Campbell, and I I mean, looking back, I should have been nervous, but I don't think I was because I was like so focused, like this is my goal. Um, I remember walking down the hallway to his office, introducing myself, and then he connected me with the the head manager who was a graduate student at the time. And it turned out that my class schedule didn't work very well with their practice schedule because, uh, you know, I didn't know when they practiced. So the first semester, all I could really do was like um, help kind of behind the scenes and most of that help was like typing their scouting reports because uh, Coach Moore used to write them all like on a notepad and then give them to the managers to type up and print out and collate before the, the scouting report meeting. So that's really where I helped like the first semester. And then when I was able to plan my classes around their practice schedule, I was able to help out more on the court.
0: Got it. And and uh, for, for those that are listening, um, f- first of all, if, if you're listening and you are in high school or, or you're younger and you're trying to stay involved with sports, uh, basketball specifically, boy or girl, and th- this is, uh, I mean, take notes because being a student manager or involved with a program in college is one of the best things you can do for your future, for, for, for your career. Um, but it's also cool just to kind of hear the stories and, and, and Alyssa is about to dive into some of her responsibilities. So make sure you're, you're, you're paying attention here. So, um, I guess, yeah. Can you go over maybe some of like the roles and responsibilities? I know every program's different. It was different 10 years ago than it was 20 than it was today. There's all sorts of different responsibilities that managers have and different amount of staff, but how many people were on staff? What was your role? And um, yeah, go over some of the things that, you know, you were responsible for.
1: Yeah. So when I first started, I think there were probably, and at the beginning of every season, there were like 15 students that were all like, gung-ho, this is what I want to do, and um, and then it kind of dwindled as they realized what this was. It's not as glamorous as it sounds, right? So some of the responsibilities the managers had were like setting up the court for practice, making sure the water was out, the towels, towels were out, the balls, the pennies, the lights are on, the scoreboards on. Um, and then, like I said, typing the scouting reports kind of off the off the court. Um during practice, there were times where we had to run the run the clock. Uh, We filmed, we kept stats. So at the beginning of every practice at at UConn and probably other places, uh, players would shoot free throws and there'd be a manager at every hoop keeping track of how many free throws Kevin made and how many his opponent made. And um, so that was some of the things that we had to do. And then during the drills, how many rebounds people got. And then we'd have to input that into a computer and send it to the coaches kind of after practice um and then you know managers traveled as well um at the games you know was giving out the towel and the waters the stuff you see on tv the clipboards um making sure the coaches had what they needed before the games started um making sure the players knew where they were supposed to be when they were supposed to be there in terms of the buses leaving at this time or the meals at that time um and then as I kind of progressed my last two years, I was the, the head manager, which meant I was then responsible for the other students that worked um, with the team. So I would interview them, hire them, and then kind of assign them tasks as as we
0: went. So not a walk in the park, like a full-time job, just like a college athlete. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, you had so many responsibilities. So there there had to be, it's funny, I just, you know, i reminiscing the the you know the managers at qu and and uh you know all the different responsibilities like there had to be a time when you're typing something up and you made a typo or somebody on staff like there had to be a time that because it's nerve-wracking i mean there's a lot of things you have to have organized and if a player misses a certain time coaches get pretty upset we had some of those funny stories that you know in Hamden for sure um but what was there a time that that i don't know a manager messed up or you messed up and you were nervous about it like I guess talk about that and then working for, you know, not just coach Moore but coach Calhoun.
1: Yeah. Um so the first story that comes to mind when you ask if if I ever messed up. So um I didn't love to run the clock because at practice cuz that came with a lot of pressure. And this one day <laughs> I was running the clock And sometimes coach Calhoun would say like, okay, okay, fellas, you have a minute for water. And sometimes he meant that minute was literally 60 seconds. And sometimes it was like a casual minute and it was kind of my responsibility to judge what he meant. And I guess interpreter. Yeah, I guessed wrong. And I did not have 60 seconds on the clock and he looked over at me and now don't get me wrong. Coach Calhoun is one of the nicest people that I know. But in that moment and in practice, he could be very serious and very intimidating. He looked at me and he said, Alyssa, do you want to run?
0: And I was like, (laughs) no, he did not. No. (laughs) Oh, if Coach Calhoun made you run, that would be one of the craziest stories I've ever heard. Yeah.
1: Um, So from then, then on, anytime he said a minute, whether I thought it was a casual minute or a firm minute, I timed it.
0: That's funny. That's, that's awesome. Um, so, so you talk about, I mean, obviously organization comes to mind um, and then just using those skill sets as you progress in your career, I mean, organization and, and, you know, dealing with people and working under pressure. What are, what are a couple of um, other, I'm sure there's, there's, there's many, just the same as it is, you know, as a collegiate athlete or a walk-on or a scholarship guy that you learn. learned. Um, what are some lessons that you learned that you still use today from, from your undergraduate experience?
1: I think the biggest thing is honestly problem solving, right? Like you have a scanning report meeting that's at three o'clock. You've got these pages that need to be typed, need to be collated, you need to pass them out. There's no way I'm walking in to a meeting saying, like, the copy machine was broken. Sorry. Right. So like. In that scenario where the copy machine is broken and you're on the road or you're on campus, you got to figure it out. Go to another building with a different printer, take a taxi to a Staples and and print it because you cannot walk into that meeting with nothing. Like everything is relying on you. So I've realized through the years of working that not everyone has that skill that like this is a problem. We need to figure it out and we can't you know, you need to be quick about it and let's brainstorm some solutions and let's go.
0: Yeah, that's great. I call that just simply just, just figure it out. Like, you you know, you're going to be in a, you're going to be in a a practice situation where you just need to figure it out. Like something's going to happen on the fly that you don't expect. And it, it translates and correlates perfectly to the real world. Like something's going to happen that you didn't plan for. And you're either going to, it's going to be chaos or you're just going to figure out a way to, to, to get it done. And so that's, yeah. yeah, that's definitely a big, big time skill. I mean, obviously there's, there's, there's a handful more. T- talk about your like connections, relationships. I mean, you know, you obviously have to um, you you have to take that seriously because there, I, I think there are people that, you know, networking is a buzzword, but people that say, Hey, I, I built a relate, or I have a relationship with this person, but that that's genuine because those can last a long time. So h- how did you, about that, like, did you realize at the time that these were going to be relationships that you were forming that were going to last for forever? Or how did you go about that?
1: I mean, I don't think at the time I, I realized how impactful every one of those people around me was going to be. um And honestly, I, I just went to a UConn game the other night and saw some of the people that I went to college with or that were still on, that were on staff when I was in school there. And those those bonds are are tight. You know, we've traveled together. We've spent countless hours during those four years, I spent more time with these people than I did with my family or probably even my college roommate or any of my, my friends. Um, but I, I mean, relationships are so important and I think it starts with like, you know, showing them that you're, you're willing to put in the effort to, to help the, help the team and also showing them all of them that you care about them as people. Um, and that's been like, the most, I would say, rewarding part of this for me, right? Like Coach Moore, I met when I was eighteen years old, and and I just, you know, got I just got to see his daughter, who's, like, it's crazy, crazy. yeah. <laughs> like I've known her since before she was born, um yeah, and now she's an adult.
0: That's yeah, that's wild, and and again, you know, I think just building on the relationships because it's not just that you're going to see these people and you want to be friendly with them and, and, and hang out with them and have, you know, a good um, I guess, good reputation with them. But a lot of these relationships can actually help you get jobs. And I think one of the things you mentioned um, when I saw you last weekend was that either almost all or every single one of your jobs was you had somebody from UConn that was a reference that helped you get your next job. Is, yep. that, is that
1: true? Um, yeah, my two big jobs out of college. I had one other that was not directly related, but in that, um, in that case, my like my Yukon connections were my references for that. Um so yeah, I mean, I am again, I'm two decades removed from college, but I know I can call anybody that I worked with on that Yukon staff as an 18-year-old and they would happily act as a reference for me.
0: Yeah, some big time, big time notes there. So hopefully uh, our aspiring collegiate athletes or 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 students that want to be involved with sports um, you know, took some uh took some takeaways there. All right. So let's let's transition a little bit uh, onto the next topic. So obviously four amazing years, and I'm sure we could talk about stories forever, but uh but then you're you're you know you're going to the real world or you know, you have to decide what's next. Mm-hmm. Um obviously, you know, as we were already talking about, uh, as an athlete, you know, I like to, I like to help educate guys and girls that you can get to the next level and sure you can make some money, but that eventually stops, but also you might not get paid to play the game you love. So there are real life careers that are involved with basketball or whatever sport you're with that you can get paid. So what was your transition into what was next? Obviously, you know, we mentioned mm-hmm. you had stops at George Washington. You had some internships. Talk talk about that, that process.
1: So I, when I wasn't working on the basketball court for my education, my major was sports marketing, and through college, I did two internships. Uh, the first one was with um, the Norwich Navigators. They were a, a local, I think, or single A or single-A baseball team in Norwich, Connecticut, and then the second internship was with the Oakland A's out in California, so I had this idea in my head that I wanted to work in baseball and doing that that second internship really opened my eyes because you know when the A's were home for 10 days on a homestand I was in the office from 10 a.m to midnight for 10 days in a row and I was like you know what I I don't know if this is this is for me and to be honest I didn't really know what was going to come from that internship I didn't know if I would stay out there and take a job um but at some point over the summer, Carl Hobbs, who was another assistant at UConn, got the head coaching job at George Washington. And he called me and he said, hey, do you want to come and be and go to grad school and be a manager for me? And I was like, you know what? This this sounds like a good. Game. So um, I I flew down to D.C., It's right before September 11th, 2001. Um, I was probably on campus for like two weeks before um, all of those events. So that's a whole different podcast. Mm. But um, so I worked with him and his team and I got my MBA in the process. And I think the one of the experiences that I remember, the GW MBA program is typically for people that have had significant work experience And because I didn't, I had a meeting with the dean and I explained to her like, okay, I don't have real world work experience, but let me tell you about my last four years of college and what I did. And I know she came away like, okay, like you are, you're ready to do this. You
0: pass. (laughs) But that's, I mean, that's, that's another advantage of doing something like, um, getting involved with athletics or being a student manager or doing something in addition to just being a college student and undergrad is that you get that experience. Yeah. Um, and then one thing to touch on, on the internships too, and I actually remember talking with you about this is what, what, and, and coach more a lot, actually. What, one of the things about doing internships during your undergraduate experience is that sure you can find something that you absolutely love, but it's almost even better, maybe not better, but just as powerful as if you find something where you're like, Hey, this is not for me. So you can kind of cancel that off and you're not going to find that unless you actually do it. Yeah. Um, so, so, so that was just something to touch on there. Um, so, so how was your time at, um, at George Washington, obviously similar, I mean, being a student manager and, 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 you know, then kind of taking the level up to GA, like it was similar roles, right? Like how, was that, how is that different or what did you have, you know, in addition to your experience at UConn there?
1: Um, so the, the role itself was very similar at GW. It was a learning experience to navigate, you know, the differences between UConn and GW and how things worked at GW versus how they had worked at UConn and who were the right people that I needed to connect with to make sure that things ran smoothly. Um, and I had the opportunity again, to meet a whole new set of coaches that were on Carl Hobbs staff and players and, um, So one of those players, I'm just going to jump into the next piece of Mm -hmm. this, one of those players, uh, his point guard was really struggling with his academics. Um, So I kind of was like, I think it one day on the bus, he like opened his backpack and his papers were flying everywhere. And I was like, what do you do? Like, let's figure this out. Let's get you some folders. Like, let's figure this out. So through that, I actually learned there was an office for student athlete academic support, and I applied to be a tutor, and I tutored the men's basketball player. And that's how I realized this whole area of athletic academic advising worked, right? I had gone through undergrad, and now I was in grad school, not even knowing that this career Mm -hmm. was a possibility. But when I like dipped my toe in it, I, I knew like, okay, this is something I could really like. I obviously get to stay around athletics and, you know, I loved school. I, I loved studying. I was kind of a nerd. Like, this is great. Um, so this is kind of two of my passions, um, right there, but yeah. And, and again, the the coaches on Carl Hobbs staff, Steve Peichel is one of my favorite coaches and he's somebody I met when I was, you know, 22. And I, I still keep in touch with and he's been a reference for me for every job I've had. Um, again, and I know I can call him and he'll, whoever I, whoever he needs to call, he'll
0: call. And he's awesome like that. That's fantastic. Um, so and, and, and you, how, how many years were you at George Washington again?
1: So as a GA, I was there for two years. Okay. Right. And then I kind of took another, I got my MBA. And at the same time I was offered a full-time job in the office for athletic academic support. And I kind of thought, all right, I just got my MBA. I just did all this work. I want to, I want to try to my hand in the business world. And I, I worked for about a year and a half at Cal Ripkins. um, his company, Ripken Baseball, and I worked in a division that was pretty new at the time. It was called Ripken Management and Design, and it was taking the model that he built, like the the, the youth baseball complex off of 95 in mm-hmm. Maryland, and trying to replicate that in other cities um, and doing feasibility studies for towns that wanted to purchase and, and move a minor league baseball team like he did. So that job was was awesome in a lot of ways. And then I got a ton of experience and met a ton of people, but, um, I ultimately felt the need to go back to the, the college athletic experience at, at GW. And when, a advising job opened up, um, where I initially turned it down when it opened up again, I, I, uh, took it at that
0: point. So a year and a half later. Got it. Got it. Lots of education for, for for you so far in your career. Lots of, uh, yeah, lot, so many degrees, so many degrees. I mean, um, <laughs> so, so I guess I want to transition a little bit into our favorite part, our favorite university, Quinnipiac, because there's so much to talk about here. Obviously, yeah. you know, it was great to and our listeners, it's great for you to hear again, the point of the podcast is just to hear the different paths you can go down in sports and careers outside of being a pro. Um, but now let's, let's get into a bit more of a conversation about Quinnipiac. So, so you arrive at Quinnipiac University, um, obviously a new challenge, um, a new school, you had to get, get used to new people. What, what was, uh, I, I guess, to talk about the role a little bit. Uh, and then we'll, we'll get into, um, you know, some of the challenges that you had to overcome while you were there.
1: So again, my connection back to UConn in, I I don't remember what month exactly, but in 2007, Tom Moore was named the head coach at at Quinnipiac for the men's basketball team. And he called me and he said, are you ready to come back to Connecticut? (laughs) And I said, yes. Um, So I started in August, 2007. Um, I think he and his staff had been on board for a couple months Uh, But I was really excited to be able to continue in athletic academic support and do so back home in Connecticut. Um, I think initially the biggest challenge coming to Quinnipiac was that the, you know, the reputation of the men's basketball players academically wasn't fabulous. Um, And it was, you know, around campus, we had to kind of change some minds about about what What was happening um and then i had to to meet these new students and prove to them that like Mm -hmm. i'm someone they can trust i have their best interest uh in mind and you know that's always a challenge and it was especially challenging with the first group because as you know, like if the if the seniors and the older guys buy in, then it becomes easy because they just tell the new guys, "This is Alyssa; mm-hmm. she's our academic advisor. You listen to what she says." And I don't have to do any of the the talking. Um, so it was initially setting that up was probably one of my biggest challenges.
0: We just wanted to get your feet wet and, and give you a challenge until I came the next summer. That's that's really what you were doing right there. you were just preparing for the. For the academic all-star that I was. Um, you well, were you, an academic
1: all-star. And that's if, right. And if the entire team was like Kevin Tarka, there I'd be out of a job.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, this is more of a general question. What, what do you think is is the biggest challenge for athletes? Like, obviously, this position was created and more positions like this were created because, you know, in my opinion, it, it, it's a lot to balance, right? If you're not good at, time management or if if school is just not your thing and I was more like you where I was kind of a nerd so I like I enjoyed doing work and studying right so but that's not the case for everyone and it's also a full-time job like what is that the biggest challenge for athletes I mean you know balancing everything I mean or or is it is there something else that that you know you think um, you were able to help them with outside of just you know study halls
1: I think um, you know back in the day that that was, and, and maybe now it's a little different, like post-COVID, what the biggest challenges are. But when I was doing this, that, that was the biggest challenge, right? Balancing the demands on the student-athlete's time and understanding that, like, yes, the world of college basketball looks glamorous on TV, but in reality, you're the bus is pulling in at 3 a.m., mm-hmm. and you have class or a test or a quiz at 8 a.m., and you have to figure out how to function on little sleep and, and when you're going to study and, and then you've got to be at practice the next day because then you're getting on a bus a day, you know, the next day. So, and that's where I think my experience as a student manager really helps or helped in that role because, you know, I did it and I mm-hmm. yes, had to stay up late or I had to study. And I I had a rule for myself in college. If I was physically in the state of Connecticut, I was going to class because there were so many times that I had to miss it because we we weren't there. Um, but yeah, it's it's not as glamorous as it looks and there's a lot more pieces to it than people see on,
0: on TV. Definitely, I mean, it is for sure a full-time job. Uh, Another thing that I think would be beneficial for some some listeners, especially younger athletes that, um, you know, are trying to focus on what they need to get done to be a collegiate athlete. So what part of your uh, roles and responsibilities or I don't know if it was was officially, but you would be able to help the coaching staff when they were recruiting a player. Part of the process of getting into a school and getting a scholarship is. Being able to get in academically and actually not just get into the school, but being able to thrive academically. So what, what are, you know, you looked at hundreds and thousands of transcripts over the years, right? So what are some of the things that students should focus on? Um, and what are some of the things that were red flags that you were like, Hey, he, this, this guy might be good at basketball, but it's going to be tough for him to succeed here.
1: Yeah. Uh, like you said, I looked at hundreds of transcripts for the coaches, people that they were recruiting or thinking about recruiting. And I, you know, the NCAA has a core course list for each high school. So it's really important for, for high school student athletes and high school guidance counselors to understand which classes in their school are going to count for which subjects, because you've got to have the right, you've got to have Four Englishes, three maths, three three science, or whatever whatever it is now. That's what it was then. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got to have the right mix of classes, and then you've got to have the right GPA in those classes to succeed. So on its face, yeah, I would look at the transcript, and I would say this person's in great shape. They just need to to finish their English class senior year strong you know, the red flags were sometimes like, you know, if somebody didn't do well in PE, like it's clearly not because they are not a good athlete. It's because they didn't show up or they weren't following the directions, which to me, was a huge red flag. And because of my relationship with coach Moore, I was able to, to walk into his office and say like, Hey, I, I think this is a problem. I'm concerned about this. And, you know, there were times when he was like, appreciate your concern, but we got to do this. Or like, All right. Appreciate your concern. I'm really going to listen to you because we, you know, we don't need this in our, in our
0: program. For sure. And and I think at the end of the day, you know, athletes can take, take accountability. Like if you're, if you're applying for schools and you're not sure what you need on your transcript to be able to get in, go ask your guidance counselor. Like you have to take initiative, um, and that translates through to you know getting your assignments done in college and making sure you're doing the things your academic advisors telling you. I think um, one of the notes I wrote down from one of the articles, I can't remember where it was from. I think it was, I think it was an old article that UConn had published about you when you are at Quinnipiac, and and the, the headline was like, you know, getting their school schoolwork done um, and still meeting their obligations for practice games and travel. Alyssa is sympathetic for up to a point, right. Where it's like, everyone's like, okay, like we get it. It's busy, but like figure it out. Like you yeah. still have to get it done because in real life, if you know, you, you're kind of just moseying through and you don't, you know, get your, your sales, up, like you're getting fired. Right. And so that's yeah. just a, just something to keep in mind for for our student athletes listening. I think too some of my
1: role was like helping the coaches, like manage their expectations too. Like, cause you know, it'd be playoff time and it would also be midterm exam week. And I, you know, I'd have to go into you guys as players and say, listen, when when you're a grown up, you're hopefully going to have a full time job and a a family. When you Mm -hmm. go home, no one wants to hear about your job. And when you're at work, no one needs to hear about all the details of your family or if something happened with your family, you still need to function at work. Mm -hmm. So it's the same lesson, right? Like playoffs are here when you're on the court, be on the court. And when you're in the classroom, I need you to be in, in the classroom. Um, and there were times where I had to go to the coaches and, and say, like, look, this is they still need to do these things, too. I know this is really important here, but this is also important.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's really good. Um, so so over the years, obviously, you're, you're as you mentioned, you've been you've been at Quinnipiac for for 15, you know, 16 years now. And your roles and your titles have changed a little bit. So one of those first editions was um, I believe it was. Uh, director of business or or assistant athletic director of business, right? So you started to, uh, you know, work on budgets. You started to have more roles. Can you talk about some of the additional roles you had?
1: Yeah. So, you know, towards the end of my time as an academic advisor, I knew I was getting tired of Sunday night study hall and chasing after people to do their homework. Uh, It's exhausting. And, So one of my side jobs, because I had an MBA was to like, make sure that the coaches were like staying within their budget. And so when um, Greg Amodio came on as a, as the athletic director, he essentially created a position for uh, assistant athletic director for business. And he, he and I talked through that and I eventually moved into that role where I oversaw the budgets for um, the entire athletic department and then work uh, worked as a liaison to between athletics and human resources when employees are coming on board and when um, the employees are exiting as well.
0: Mm. So, so on the budget topic, and I know you know we can. First of all, every school is different. Rules keep changing. Um, you know, when there's a new president of a school and a new athletic director, budget shift. But can you just touch a thirty thousand foot view on so, so our listeners are aware? Because sometimes I think people forget like college uh, uh, athletics are amazing and March Madness and there's NIL and all these, all these amazing looking highlights and, and, you know, fancy travel and gear, but it's a business at the same time. It really is no matter how many people say college athletics is not a business, it's a business. And that's why there are budgets, right? So can you just maybe talk about some of the categories of a men's collegiate men's basketball team's budget, like maybe some of the expenses and potential revenues?
1: Yeah. So for and again, my experience with this is just at Quinnipiac, so it could be different everywhere. But I would guess across the board on on a basketball team, one of the higher expenses that that teams have is travel, right? The the buses, the planes, the hotels, the food, um, and then there's the equipment costs for the gear, for the basketballs, for the sneakers. Uh, paying the officials, which is a pretty high cost. Um, at Quinnipiac, we also pay uh, game day ambulances out of the, the team operating budgets, and then recruiting costs for coaches when they're flying around the country, looking at um, potential student athletes, there's expenses related to that as well. So those are the main ones. Main ones. Other sports like hockey, the equipment costs for hockey are are much higher than the um, equipment costs for mm. basketball or for soccer. Um, so yeah.
0: And then so, on the so, revenue side, go, ahead. go ahead, go ahead. I
1: was going to say on the revenue side, it's mainly uh, ticket sales. We have like athletic department sponsorships that come in as well. Um, and then actually the the main portion of our revenue at Quinnipiac is directly from the NCAA, the, the, um, I forget what it's called. I'm blanking on the name, but the, the basketball,
0: uh, um, money, the basketball fund or something. Yes.
1: Yeah. That, that fund. And then the NCAA gives a portion, um, they they have this crazy, um, equation System. on how they calculate it, but based on the number of student athletes that you have on a scholarship, you get a certain portion back. Um, so those are the, the biggest revenues that we get at Quinnipiac ticket sales, NCAA money sponsorships.
0: Yeah. Just, uh, for, for those listening, I mean, it's, it's quite the, I've done a deep dive on the NCAA financials a long time ago, and I just remember it was pretty crazy, but it's just an interesting topic to keep in mind. Like you know, there are budgets in every school and every university and every size is different. But, you know, the reality is it's a it's a it's a big money business. Like there's there's a lot of money in college athletics and it's expensive, too. Uh, yeah. And I can imagine from your standpoint, it, it's um, uh, I can imagine that, you know, every coach wants to fight for their team to get you know more more budget. And, and, and we want to travel here. We need to go see this recruit and mm-hmm. we want gear. And so it's I can imagine it's uh, quite the. Quite the craziness trying to balance. Like you know, you hey, you're dealing with numbers here. Like you're not making the rules, or the you know, you're you're yeah. You're, it's hard to balance the you know people getting jealous of each other and revenues coming in. It's like here's the budget.
1: Yeah. yeah. And honestly, this year, it's been harder than any years past with uh, the cost of everything going up from like the buses that we take the food, the equipment, everything costs more than it did the same trips that our teams are taking to Siena or to Iona cost like $700 more. And you know the budget hasn't really changed that much.
0: <laughs> and 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 that's not going to stop the next couple of years here as we as we uh, enter this the economy we're entering into. So yeah. Um. Well, well, let's keep going on on some other additional parts of of your career here. Obviously, um, as we talked about, you uh, you were an adjunct professor for a little bit, so you started teaching what you were learning, and and actually similar to you know the goal of this podcast is simply just kind of uh lecturing about uh you know every class was a different course i think on you know career paths and it's not just hey here's sports management you can go be a gm of a team or go be a pro you know there's there's obviously various paths so how was it being a a a professor and uh Mm -hmm. yeah what 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 were some of your what were some some of your takeaways from teaching qu students
1: so i i really liked teaching qu students i started in the qu 101 which is like a quinnipiac specific course and then I had the opportunity to teach sports management, which is way more in my wheelhouse. Um, and the course that I taught, yeah, every section of the course could in itself be its own course. But the goal was to try to get students to understand that, like, yeah, not just you're going to be the GM of the Yankees. There's hundreds of thousands of other careers across all aspects of sports, from youth sports to to the professional leagues, to college sports, high school sports, to working at conferences, conferences. Um, to working at agencies, working on the legal side. So we kind of, the class explored those different things. Um, and I loved the opportunity to meet students outside of the student athletes and get to learn from them as well. So it really was great. I just, it came time that I, I needed to t- t- take a step back.
0: I know I miss being a, a guest lecturer in that class. We have to find yeah. another class to go to go babble to at Quinnipiac at some point. You were my
1: go-to. I think you got some interns from the experience, yeah? Yeah,
0: yeah, I did, I did. I remember, yeah, some students stayed in touch. Um, mm-hmm. not, not, not all, but some. Uh, yeah. yeah, that was great. And then, uh, you know, last but not least, leading up to today, uh, you know, obviously, you know, you just continue to, continue to get more roles and responsibilities, uh, you know, at the university. So, so what are some of the other things that you uh, are responsible for today for the university?
1: So I'm back. I'm back on the business side now I went I flip flopped a couple times but I'm back on the business side and um, in my role as a senior associate athletic director I'm part of the senior staff of the athletic department so I get to meet with um, the athletic director the deputy athletic director and the other senior associates at least once a week and we talk through all the issues and concerns that we've got going on um and in my current role I also oversee academic support so it's kind of like on a and Kristen Casamento who who oversees academic support she's awesome and and my role is like a thousand a thousand foot view like giving her advice on like okay well maybe you should ask that question or think about that so um she's awesome and I I love working with her and the students are in great hands And so I oversee her at at a pretty high level.
0: Um, So when someone decides that they don't want to go to study hall on one of the teams, that's not your responsibility anymore.
1: (laughs) Thankfully, it's not. And, you know, I was joking with you when I saw you last week, like people look at my job and they're like, oh, this must be so tedious, like going through all these expenses. I'm like, nope, this is way better than Sunday night study hall or chasing after people for to making sure they turn in their assignments.
0: It's pretty straightforward. Awesome. Um, Well, I I mean, this is, I know we've gone kind of uh, down many different career paths, but just, I want to reiterate to those that are listening, like there's, you know, replay this, take notes on it. There's even in this episode alone, there's so many different paths that you can go down. If you like math, if you like communications, if you like coaching, if you like, um, you know, dealing with people or or even staying behind the scenes, there's so many different paths that you can go down. So, um, you know, obviously, as always, you can reach out to me or reach out to alyssa, you know to 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 find out more about those paths. But as we wrap up here, just a couple of other random conversations i I, I want to uh, pick your brain on. Um obviously, you've been around college athletics uh, for a long time, and you've seen a lot of changes. Um, what do you think I mean, the way that college athletics are going now, we can go down another crazy path of nil or 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 budgets or conferences like, any, any thoughts on the way that college athletics is changing just from a business perspective, like, you know, fans in the stands, ticket sales, revenues, expenses, like what's, what's going to happen in the next couple of years?
1: Yeah, I mean, I wish I had a crystal ball and some of it, you know, I don't, I don't know how it's going to trend and I I hope that the schools like Quinnipiac don't get lost in the shuffle of all of it because you know, the, the media perception of college athletics is the power fives where there's like tons of money. Of course. And, and, you know, at, at Quinnipiac, we spend more than we bring in. Um, and there, you know, when you talk about paying college athletes, there's no money to pay them. We like need to just pay our bills to get to the game. Um, right. so, so I'm a little concerned on like the, the schools at the the level of Quinnipiac and the, the non power five D ones and where that where that will leave us in the next few years, but it's going to be interesting to see. I think there's a, there's a place for it because there's so many great life lessons that you as a former student athlete taken from it. And that's so valuable at an educational institution that there's a place for it. We just need to figure out how it all works.
0: Agreed. Yeah. And I think not even with just diving directly into NIL, like completely, but you know, the, the, for the, non-power schools, you know, a lot of student athletes are, are, are starting to get this idea after the first few crazy years of NIL. It's like, Hey, I, you know, I need to get paid and I get it. I'm all for it. Trust me. There's not another person here that, that does not agree with the free market. But, um, as Alyssa just mentioned, um, like there needs to be a business case. Like there needs to be ROI. Like you, you can't just demand $30,000 or $10,000 if, you're not like the university is not making money, right? You, you know, there's, mm-hmm. they're not making, so like, where, who, where's the value for that money? And, and this is something that, you know, I, I've discussed on my podcast a lot. There's no answer right now, but you know, as a student athlete or as somebody involved with collegiate athletics, you just have to keep that in mind. Like NIL is going nowhere. The opportunity to make money off an image image likeness is going nowhere. Um, student athletes getting paid in a ridiculous amount of money is not going anywhere at the highest levels. But not at all schools. So I'm, I'm, I'm obviously, you know, hoping that the Quinnipiac of the world and the mid majors of the world are, are, you know, We just have to figure out a way to make it sustainable and, and and move on from there. And the same thing with the NTA. You know, we talk about regulations changing, and, um, you know, it's it's uh, it's gonna be interesting to see what happens this summer with 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 new leadership and a new president. So, um, yeah, maybe we'll save that for another another episode because we can go <laughs> deep on that one as well. Um, so l- last question here. Any any other? I mean, I know you had plenty of. Plenty of advice the entire time, but any other advice for someone that's listening um, that uh, that wants to get involved with college athletics, particularly, and um, you know, not not as a student athlete, but like as a profession?
1: Yeah, I mean, key thing is to start somewhere and volunteer somewhere. Um, and the and the impressions that you make as an eighteen year old, I'm I'm proof that they stay with you for the rest of your life. So put your best foot forward, work hard and, and it'll pay off. And I think, again, you have to be prepared that this isn't all glitz and glamor. This is not all fun and games. It's, it's long work. It's hard work. You're going to have to make some sacrifices. Um, yeah, you know, my college experience was a lot different than, than other people's college experience because I had to be up at 6am and at practice on Saturday. So, um, But I I think it worked out in the end. And um, yeah, you just have to be willing to put in the hard work, make the connections, make the relationships, stay in touch for real reasons, not reach out only when you need something Mm -hmm. just to say hi or just say, hey, I was thinking about you today Um, and, and you'll be in you'll be in a good spot. And there's plenty of opportunities.
0: Great advice. Alrighty, well, the last official thing I have that I didn't that I don't prep my guests on is a sports business lightning round. So I just ask you some questions. I fire them at you and you hit me with the first thing that comes to your mind. You ready? Okay. What's your favorite color? Blue. Do you prefer coffee or tea? Tea. Pizza or pasta? Mm, pizza. Would you rather be able to speak to all animals or speak four languages fluently?
1: Four languages.
0: What's your favorite country outside the one you're in right now?
1: Hmm. That's a
0: hard one. Uh, I don't know. I don't think I've been
1: to enough countries to answer that question. Well, you
0: can at least say one from our awesome, oh, we didn't talk about our awesome uh, uh, we did. international trip. Yes. But yeah You got you to gotta pick one though. All right. So then I picked Belgium. Nice. I love the fries.
1: Um, I love the beer. Sorry. And I love the chocolate.
0: <laughs> amazing. What is one of your biggest strengths?
1: Um, my organizational skills.
0: Who is one of the first people to really believe in you?
1: My parents.
0: What's one of your biggest fears?
1: Hmm. Um, failing.
0: <laughs> if you could have dinner and drinks with anyone in the world, someone that's dead or alive, just one of the first people that comes to your mind.
1: I don't know why this is coming to my mind, but Barack Obama.
0: <laughs> that would be a good one and last one here if you could turn back time and talk to 18 year old Alyssa what would you tell her
1: um I think I I wish I wish I had more of 18 year old Alyssa in the 40 something year old version of Alyssa because the 18 year old Alyssa like maybe I, I just was too naive to be afraid but I <laughs> went for it um so I feel like the 18 year old Alyssa should talk to the older Alyssa and just go for
0: it. I I love that. That, That's actually the first time I've gotten that response because everyone's usually, you know, giving advice back to the younger self, but that's, that's cool. Your younger self is giving some advice to you. Very cool. Well, this has been amazing. I appreciate you coming on. Um, Yeah. And I'm sure I'll be seeing you here soon, whether in Hamden or, uh, or at another gym somewhere in the Northeast. Love it. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks again for listening, my friends. If you enjoyed the episode or if it brought you any value at all, it would mean the world to me if you could give it a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. If you share it on social media, make sure you tag me at Kevin Tarka. If there are any topics that you want me to dive into or any guests you'd love for me to have on the show, just shoot me a message and I will do my best to make it happen. Have an amazing day and hope to see you back here soon.